0: Bijan Gorbani is a master storyteller with an unwavering passion for enabling and empowering others. His storytelling masterclass has ignited the potential of thousands of Googlers across the globe and within the tech industry worldwide, enabling them to elevate their leadership, negotiation and influencing abilities. Let's discover Bijan's tools for communication in this episode of Tech Powered Luxury. Season three of Tech Powered Luxury is proudly brought to you in partnership with our amazing sponsor, Farmhouse Fresh, an American skincare brand on a mission to rescue complexions and animals. Founded 19 years ago by Shannon McLinden, the brand has over 200 incredible skincare products with ingredients grown fresh on their farm in Texas. The Farmhouse Fresh custom designed ranch headquarters is built on a 10 acre hill and is home to a hydroponic greenhouse, a spa and training facility, a non-profit farm animal sanctuary, meaning they are surrounded every day by the beautiful animals that they rescue. With 70 employees and thousands of spas who provide Farmhouse Fresh skincare experiences, Farmhouse Fresh is known for freshly grown skincare that rescues both complexions and animals. Loved by household names and celebrities around the globe, including Oprah, who discovered Farmhouse Fresh in 2007, as well as Catherine Zeta-Jones, Lisa Kudrow, and many, many more. Every single product from Farmhouse Fresh has a code that allows you to track and discover which animals were rescued thanks to your purchase. We could not have asked for a better partner for season three of Tech Powered Luxury, who embodies luxury, technology, and most importantly, kindness into their business. Our listeners benefit from $10 off every $100 purchase with the code TLUXURY on farmhousefreshgoods.com. Dan, welcome to Tech Powered Luxury. I'm very excited to have you here today. How are you doing?
1: I'm very good, Ashley. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you again.
0: Yes, we have not seen each other in person for a while, so it's very cool to be connected again and uh, as, you know, two former Googlers or Zooglers, as they say, uh, I think we always like share a lot of passion around technology, but also that amazing community that was built um, at Google, especially in Dublin. But here we're today going to talk about something a little bit different. It's going to be about storytelling in particular, uh, which is something that I learned a lot from you about, and also giving advice to people in the luxury industry because we are tech-powered luxury and how they can apply those principles to the world of storytelling in a digital age. I hope you are ready for that.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds
0: good. So we're going to open with the question I ask everybody. Who are you and what led you to where you are today?
1: Well, who am I? I was born and raised in France from Persian parents. And from a very young age, I had a passion for computers and the internet. I feel like our generation has grown with the internet. We were there before it was there. And we've seen all of its various iterations. And since a very young age, I also had a passion for public speaking. I was the family member who would be asked to tell the tales of the previous holidays or vacations. And I had this nick for drama and knowing instinctively how to make stories a bit more interesting than just reporting facts after fact. So that's basically my childhood and the biggest drivers of where I am today.
0: That's really interesting. So it sounds like you're really encouraged by your family to use that communication skill uh, to animate, maybe to entertain a little bit as well. And you've seen to marry that with your passion as well for technology.
1: Yes, um, it, was, it was not easy to get access to technology. My parents were not necessarily buying new computers or consoles when I was younger. But I, I never stopped fighting for it. Uh, I never gave up and finally when I got my first pc that I built myself was such an aha moment we say in the tech industry it was a big reveal that this instant access and then with the internet instant access to everything everything I could be interested in to all the knowledge to dig deeper and deeper and deeper whenever I had questions that was a huge turning point in my life so I fell in love with tech and what it can enable people to do and achieve since the beginning. Yeah. Mm. And then in terms of entertaining, I have to admit, uh, I come from a family of uh, academics. My grandparents were university professors. My dad's a university professor. So public speaking has always been kind of there. Mm. The ability to, to talk to large crowds and, and convey complex information. I've always been you know, passionate about science as well. The ability to talk about quantum physics or nuclear physics or astrophysics at a young age, to simplify things with metaphors, to bring abstract ideas to mundane conversations. I think these skills and, and events have definitely helped me uh, walk in the path of storytelling, being able to to narrate, yeah,
0: and especially in the world of technology. I remember in the interview process at Google they would talk about, okay, how do you explain this technology? And it could be something really advanced to a young child. So it's breaking down these complex topics into a way, like you said, that you can speak about in a normal everyday conversation. So it sounds like you were really made for the entire process of entering into the tech world. And especially, of course, in a in a sales-focused role, a storytelling role, whether it's internal or external, you have to make things sound exciting. You have to bring a little bit of entertainment to it as well, because otherwise... It's very hard to keep people's attention these days, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, to that point, at Google or in general in the industry, there is this culture of product focus. Mm. There is a high focus on product innovation, technology, and what's the latest iteration of that narrative. And currently it's AI. A couple of years ago, it was machine learning. A couple Mm -hmm. of years before that, it was something else. But... We tend to forget that our our the people we, we talk to aren't necessarily as versed in the tech industry themselves. And the more you are able to simplify things, the more you're able to adapt to your audience and speak their language, the easier it is for your audience to understand what you're saying. Thus, being able to drive action more effectively. Because at the end of the day, The goal of a meeting or a sales pitch is to drive action, to get that Mm -hmm. partner or customer to agree with you, hopefully, and get that approval, get that buy-in for resources, budget, time, or whatever it is you want to achieve, right? If they don't get it, nothing's going to change.
0: Absolutely. You can't really drive action with somebody if you're not speaking the same language and if you have no idea what their intention is. Um, And I know that you mentioned building your own computer, for example, I assume that was, you know, in your maybe early teens or whatnot. So there's obviously a lot of self-taught components to your first interactions with technology. But if we take it back to your education journey overall, maybe a more holistic view of not just formal education, but also how you keep learning yourself. Could you talk me through that?
1: Yeah. So in terms of uh, academia, I started with a degree in computer science. Then I shifted to business, mm-hmm. international business. And then I had my master's degree in uh, Media engineering, basically digital project management Mm -hmm. on steroids with production.
0: (laughs) Media engineering, I've never heard that term before.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a funny name, but it was a great master's. It was a great environment to learn a lot more about uh, management in the digital environment Mm -hmm. and production.
0: And did all of this happen in France?
1: Uh, Yeah, I also studied behavioral biology uh, from uh, Stanford professor Sapovsky. So that was a huge Turning point for me in terms of understanding the human species mm-hmm. as individuals and as communities mm-hmm. to understand how we evolved our uh, collaboration and communication skills, how individuals are influenced by their background, their genes, their evolution. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, the neurochemistry of the brain dictating our feelings, thus, our decision making uh, processes and abilities. Mm-hmm. So bringing all of this together, the complexity of the tech world, my experience in the business world, and finally, my deeper understanding of our biological history helped me forge this, this program. You know, looking back, life is made of ups and downs, and sometimes we're lost, sometimes we don't know. But looking back, it's, it's a very streamlined and straightforward path where every single step makes sense Mm -hmm. and although sometimes it doesn't it it hasn't felt that way it's always been very clear when looking back in the mirror uh, oh yeah of course I am where I am because of all of these (laughs) small steps on the way
0: absolutely no like even when I was preparing to ask you all the questions that I had for you I was like how long has Bijan knowing this known this is what he wants to do? Because it really looks like the whole time you had this, you know, technology side of things, but also communication, really intertwined within not just your interests and your hobbies, but your education and then your career. Uh, which takes me, of course, to the moment that we met, which was, I guess, on the floor of the LCS France team somewhere in the, the, the Google campus in Dublin. But one of my most memorable moments from my time at Google was seeing you speak in the Foundry, which is the biggest venue within the Google campus. And actually, funny story, I wasn't even watching you directly. I was in an overflow room watching you on a screen. That's the kind of demand there was (laughs) from people to see you present. Um, And I was like, wow, I didn't realize we had a superstar amongst us on on the floor in, in LCS France. And it was you, and you were there to give really a masterclass on storytelling. So could you tell me a bit about you know, how you started at Google and how you created that own path for yourself. Because I know that that was not the normal way to go about doing things. And what you were doing was, was quite extraordinary.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for all the kind words, Ashley. It, it means a <laughs> lot to me that all those years after, you you still have fond memories of that moment.
0: Also a little bit sad I was in the overflow room, but... <laughs>
1: I'm so sorry about that. I wish the the venue was larger because <laughs> the, the main room had only 400 seats and I know mm. there were... Uh, More than about 300 people in in overflow spaces.
0: But they were ready for it. Like they knew there was going to be an overflow, which was absolutely crazy. And I was there early. Like people queued really, really early to see you speak. Also, bearing in mind, this was like a, a free event. Usually with free events, a lot of people don't turn up. And it was during work hours. So in Google, where you have unlimited food and drinks and whatnot. So to convince that many people to go and take time out of their day and go watch you speak about something, you know, clearly you had some incredible internal branding as well. But because I was new, I didn't know. So (laughs) anyways, (laughs) in hindsight, I could have camped there the day before to make sure that I was in the main room. Um, But look, back to you and, you know, those kind of first, I guess, weeks and, and months at Google that helped you forge that path.
1: So I joined Google in 2015. And very early, I was enamored with the culture, mm. uh, the freedom. Uh, you could take initiatives to solve problems. If you saw a flaw in a process, you could step up and do something about it. It was very flat uh, from an organizational perspective. Very quickly, I noticed within our team back in 2016, all the sales pitches looked kind of the same, um, I had the the privilege of doing a presentation early in my first few months in the team. It was a presentation about my previous job, especially working with Facebook uh, and agencies. Mm -hmm. And I was presenting some differences and some different approaches in terms of partnership with agencies, uh, with other tech giants. I had the privilege of you know, doing and preparing this presentation on my own. I had full mm-hmm. freedom on the way I would present the information on the kind of slides I would use. And so it was very much a reflection of my own style. Mm-hmm. After that uh, presentation, a lot of people came to me asking for coaching and mentoring on presentation skills.
0: That's another very google thing to go to somebody yes. and say, hey, I really liked that. Can you help me do that? You know, previous to Google, I was at H group. That would never happen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I I really, that was like a culture shock for me, but it was amazing because then you connect to people, you share with them, you become better at what you do and you share your skills with everyone.
1: Absolutely. And it was a great opportunity for me to ask for feedback and try to improve my own style and my own Mm. skills, right? But very quickly, yeah, a, a lot of people from the LCS French team came to me asking for feedback on their next pitch or helping them prepare their slide decks mm-hmm. lighten the load on text heavy presentations and and so on and so forth and weekly some team members with more tenure uh, suggested that i should do something about this lack of upskilling capabilities and and provide this maybe as a peer-to-peer solution mm. internally so I went home and during my free time, uh, during weekends, uh, I sat down and I wrote all the things that are important to me in terms of public speaking, crafting mm-hmm. a narrative, adapting to your audience and so, and so on and so forth. So I wrote down a long list. Actually, it was so long. I started reading out loud all the things I wanted to talk about. And it was three hours and a half.
0: Just the list.
1: Just just the points. And, you know, <laughs> ar- Articulating, articulating yeah. the points. But as a conversation... It
0: sounds like you wrote a book.
1: <laughs> yeah, it kind of felt like it. Um, I was like, well, it's going to be a weird training if I talk for more than three hours. But nonetheless, I... Created, it's it's a very easy thing to do uh, at Google. Well, at least it used to be very easy. Mm -hmm. I created a training session uh, on the internal training platform. And 50 people showed up out of nowhere. Uh, There, you know, I I quickly understood that there was demand for this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And it was just called storytelling. And back then I was unknown, just (laughs) one of the many ants in the anthill.
0: Yeah. So, at that point, what, there was probably a hundred thousand people at Google already, yeah, and you uploaded this storytelling uh training, um I guess it was in an event format, the internal platform, and people could just see it and sign up it and was
1: it was an in person train it was an in person yeah. fifty
0: people in person, that's pretty big, yeah, okay, yeah.
1: so I went through the whole learning curve of booking larger spaces, which are mm. usually reserved for learning and development teams, organizing an event, uh, etc. Time, space, logistics, safety. And the feedback was, you know, it was very humbling because people actually really liked it. What I was sharing, which was personal opinions, common Mm -hmm. sense, and a lot of taking a step back and actually think about what we're doing, how we're doing, and why we're doing it. Mm -hmm. I was sharing that and it resonated with a lot of folks. So the Mm -hmm. feedback was great. The rating of the training was super high right from Mm -hmm. the beginning. And one thing led to another. I And this was in summer of 2017, about six years ago, six and a half years ago now. I decided to do more of these uh, events and trainings And very quickly, I was being invited to various offices. Uh, I was being flown all around the world, from Sydney to Mountain View, joining um, Tech Week, being sponsored by VPs uh, Mm -hmm. to to come and be one of the guest speakers for Mm -hmm. large events. This was a huge turning point Mm -hmm. in my career and in my life. I realized, well, I do have something interesting to say, and people seem yeah. to like it a lot. So, yeah. yeah, that was the moment.
0: Could you talk us through that very first training that you gave with those 50 people in that room? What did you talk about? What was the format? How long did it last?
1: I planned two hours for it, mm-hmm. and it went overboard. <laughs> and it was almost three hours. It was two okay. hours, 45 minutes. But people stayed in the room.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't know how to time it. So I was a bit shy, a bit uncomfortable with asking folks to stay for three hours. So Mm -hmm. I said, all right, let's book for two hours to Mm -hmm. kind of conform to some standards. But, you know, you don't get a PhD in a week. It takes some time, right? (laughs) Knowledge, acquiring knowledge and acquiring long-lasting memories Mm -hmm. of actionable, useful insights. Yeah. Takes time. Absolutely. It's not an instantaneous process. It's not mm-hmm. a story or swap left or right.
0: It's, yeah.
1: it's life-changing, career-defining, business-critical skills. Mm-hmm. So despite the, the un- uncomfortable position with the timing and the time management and the wrong expectation setting, the feedback was, all right, you need to work on time management in terms of setting expectations for the training. You need to recalibrate or change the formula. hmm other than that, the content itself resonated with folks from very diverse backgrounds. We had people from finance, from legal. Uh, we had obviously folks from sales. Mm-hmm. We had also some engineers with a very centralized uh, campus, such as the one we used to work together. Yeah. It was very beneficial to have all these diverse perspectives from folks uh, various parts of the organization a key insight for me was how universal the problem was and how universal some of the solutions are
0: Mm -hmm.
1: everybody needs to present at some point everybody needs to share an idea everybody needs to get buy-in everybody's asking for more resources regardless of your job function or your job title
0: that's it's so key and I felt that it was something that it took me a really long time to understand and that there are people who I meet today who could be in business already for a long time and they don't realize actually the most important thing, it's communication and to be able to sell. And that doesn't mean you need to be in a sales team. It can be selling something internally. It can be selling something horizontally, vertically. It can be selling an idea sometimes to your partner to convince them to go on a trip that you want to go on and they don't. It's it's actually, it, it's in your personal life as well. It's convincing people, it's bringing people together key component of leadership and like you said, um, moving things towards action. So I know you said that storytelling was always something that you enjoyed. Um, was there a moment when you realized that actually it wasn't just a talent, but it's a skill that could be taught to others?
1: During these conversations about coaching and mentoring others, I had to detach from my personal style, my mm. personal preference. My personal comfort uh, in terms of public speaking, being Mm -hmm. on stage, uh, facing a large crowd, all of these things that seemed intuitive or easy or comfortable for me Mm
0: -hmm. were
1: not so for many people.
0: Scariest thing in the world for many people.
1: (laughs) Well, technically, yeah, it is the number one fear, at least in the U.S., according to some studies, the fear of public public speaking. speaking. Yeah. (laughs) So I had to go back to the drawing board in terms of research Mm. and understanding beyond my own instincts, what's going on there. That's why I I reached out to Sapolsky and uh, went back to Stanford to understand, all right, what's going on in terms of we are these hairless apes.
0: Okay, you went way back.
1: Split from the chimpanzee. (laughs) 7 million years ago and now we're doing TED Talks. What happened? (laughs) What's the deal? How
0: long were you in Stanford for? How did you get out? (laughs) You should still be doing research.
1: (laughs) What's the deal with with all of these things? Because as we said previously, being a human being means being a salesperson Mm -hmm. because we all need to convince others. Yep. So that was key for me to understand, all right, how do I understand this in a deeper manner so that I can share the secret code. I can share the cipher with Mm -hmm. others so they can bypass their fear of public speaking. They can cancel their fidgeting and crutch words. Mm -hmm. They can actually understand what's more relevant between their genius ideas Mm -hmm. or the needs of their audience. Mm -hmm. If your customer has no need. There's no way you're going to sell anything to them. Yeah. First you need to identify the needs. And you need to be able to listen. You need to have empathy. So these are the core skills. And it's very counterintuitive. The number one skill for a speaker being listening. The number one skill for a seller being empathy. Yeah. So all of these kind of counterintuitive but very dramatic changes in approach and perspective helps me craft. Mm -hmm. Uh, this program and understand the skills and as you said beyond just talent and personal preference these are skills that can be shared and taught and everybody can become better. Everybody has access to these skills and everybody will benefit from a personal point of view or a career development point of view by applying these teachings.
0: I could not agree more and that's why you're here today because I learned so much in that one session that I had with you. And at some points there were elements that I was able to really resonate with because I saw my own fear in some things that you were sharing personally when I was a teenager and in my early 20s in university I had a really deep fear of public speaking. When I started my undergraduate I unsubscribed myself to any module that said I had to give a presentation, which I wasn't allowed to do. Like every module was mandatory. And then I was like not included in a couple of classes. And we found out I was missing credits because I had such a fear that I was like, no, I I can't do it. And I guess I had to overcome that. I had no choice if I wanted to actually graduate. So I pushed through it, but it was really, really tough. And now I do think that probably my own greatest skill is being able to communicate and, and overcome those fears. And I, I want to make sure that as many people as possible are given those tools, because at the end of the day, I, I think that's what it is. It's giving people a couple of tools that they can use in order to overcome any fear and communicate in a really clear and impactful way. So after all these presentations and talks and seminars, workshops that you've given at Google, what would you say would be the main takeaway, if you could give one in a nutshell, for people to succeed in storytelling.
1: This is a funny moment to talk about this because we talked about this before. But my favorite uh, personal insight is technology is when magic becomes complicated. And working in the tech industry where everybody basks in the glory of innovation and technology, actually I personally feel that these giant companies provide magical solutions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You and I have no idea how to build an iPhone. Mm-hmm. We don't even know how to build a, you know, how to make a fire in the forest with no tools <laughs> and no lighter, right? I feel Humans, like I could
0: make one eventually, but yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, yeah, the the friction of wood on wood.
0: Yeah, if I had access so to YouTube, much maybe.
1: <laughs> but if we were sent on a remote island with nothing, no knife, yeah. no lighter. We don't know much about survival. We don't know much about all the various technologies that our species and our civilization have invented. Mm, So even though we work in the tech industry, none of us and none of our stakeholders have the slightest clue of how any of this works. So it's magical. Magic being when the science comes fuzzy or invisible, right? Mm -hmm. A lighter is some kind of um, magic trick if you bring it back to the Middle Ages, people would mm-hmm. look at you, oh, wow, what is this thing? <laughs> the point being, keep it magical, keep mm-hmm. it simple, keep it understandable, keep it useful, accessible, which kind of resonates with Google's mission. Mm-hmm. But my main takeaway is, regardless of what you're talking about, regardless of what you're selling, your objectives, or the KPIs, what mm-hmm. needle you need to move in what direction, the most important thing to focus on is who you're talking to Mm -hmm. and why they should listen to you in the first place. And for me, this has been a long personal journey to work on my own empathy and my skills to understand others, to put myself in their shoes. These are pivotal moments in one's life when you finally understand that the story is not about you. Mm -hmm. You are not the main character. At best, if you do your job in the best way, you're a mentor, you're an enabler. You, enabler. you enable your partners or customers to do something new, to adopt a new technology. It's about you bringing value to people who have some challenges that need solving. There is a, a humbling approach to, to the sales process when you realize it's more important to have more empathy than to be more comfortable presenting to hundreds of people.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And Bijan, that brings me to kind of the next stage, not just of your career, but also your life as you've just moved back to Ireland from the US. So it was a couple of months ago now when I saw you shared on LinkedIn that you were impacted by the layoffs. And to say I was shocked would be an understatement. I immediately sent you a message and I was like, Wow, Google has lost a massive asset here because not only were you running these incredible storytelling programs, but it wasn't even your job. You were actually doing that basically for fun and for free. Like your real job was in sales and then it was in product, and you moved from the Dublin office to the US office. So can you tell me about like how was that and how have the last couple of months been for you? Because I know we have a lot of people listening who were in similar situations and have found it really tough.
1: Well, long story short, It was a very dramatic six months. (laughs) Very dramatic in terms of ups and downs and the roller coasters of of emotions. Mm. Now, I can share a few details about about that journey, but the initial reaction was shock. Uh, Mm. Not understanding what's going on, having to move back out of the U.S. because of visa uh, problems not understanding what's going on in terms of career, what Mm -hmm. am I going to do? But then as the weeks passed on with the clarity of, you know, thankfully not having to rush back Mm -hmm. uh, into uh, another job, although I applied to a few jobs, I had successful interviews, but then there was this itch, Mm -hmm. there was this everlasting hunger, for something more, something that another desk job would never provide, this mm-hmm. sense of fulfillment that I felt when delivering uh, my masterclass in in the foundry in this large venue at Google or at other mm-hmm. in other companies before as well. This sense of I have something more contribute to the world than hitting some metrics or or delivering some projects on time. From this initial standpoint of shock and despair and sadness, it quickly shifted to opportunity and hope and joy. Um, and it was very confusing for me, right, to actually feel happy about something quite quite dramatic. Now it's, it's been a, a few months and... I know that this is one of the best things that could have happened. And I had six years to prepare for this because the, I've crafted meticulously this content in the past mm-hmm. six years. I've tested this with almost 10,000 people around the world, across organizations, mm-hmm. with different companies. It works, right? Yeah. So... I'm very happy about the current situation.
0: <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that because I'm sure when it first happened, it's so hard to <laughs> see it as a gift. But it seems like you've used this time to reframe it, to give yourself a moment to breathe. I'm really glad you didn't rush into, like you said, a role where it's just going to be focused on KPIs and metrics. Like you have a real gift. That's why I said at the beginning, you have a talent. Um, for you, it's it's intuition. And you had to then go figure out, how you had it and what were the components of that talent to be able to share them with others, um, which is why I wanted to get you on to talk about what it is that, you know, you teach people and the tools that you give others. So tell me what's happened since then. I know you have launched your company, so you can, t- can you tell me a little bit about it and um, how people can work with you?
1: Absolutely. So I launched Bijan.io, which is mm-hmm. basically a, a platform where people can see what we do and they can reach out. And the idea is to empower individuals, teams, and organizations to maximize their impact, mm-hmm. be able to improve their communication and presentation mm-hmm. skills so that they can drive action, so that people can be more productive and more effective in a more human way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How to bring back humanity to corporate or professional interactions? Uh, The sales process, as in leading meetings, not necessarily selling stuff, but collaborating with other humans, partnering with other humans, having a relationship to get resources from other humans. These are very human-driven interactions. We've evolved for millions of years to do this. And the thing is, the corporate environment, with all its benefits, blurs nonetheless all of these critical skills and imposes walls and frameworks that change the nature of this relationship. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do is to rehumanize how we interact in terms of presentation one-to-many, in terms of leading meetings of one-to-one interactions so at the end of the day it's improving effectiveness and productivity from a human perspective the number one skill being empathy Mm
0: -hmm. in three (laughs) words how would you describe bijan.io
1: purposefully maximizing your
0: impact okay we gave you a bonus word but that's all right (laughs) um Why did you decide to launch it? Like, I know that this is something that you could have launched five, six, seven years ago. You know, what has really propelled you to do it now? And what problem do you see yourself solving with the platform?
1: Why not launching it earlier uh, was a matter of mentally being ready.
0: Mm.
1: Well, unfortunately, we are never ready. We don't ever feel ready (laughs) enough. Yeah. But I guess, you know, the, the current economic situation has Pushed things in the right direction. This little nudge enabled mm-hmm. me to finally spread my wings mm-hmm. and jump off the cliff. Lots of metaphors, right? <laughs> and I try to solve for collaboration, meeting, and presentation. Mm-hmm. Solve problems to help people solve problems. Help people reach agreement. To help people make decisions faster. Uh, a key insight that I share during the masterclass is that decision making. Is an emotional process, mm-hmm. and this is a fact of life that uh, the corporate world tends to forget. Being data driven is great; is necessary, but at the end of the day, data and proof, and being right, is not enough. That's what I try to bring to people.
0: Oh, I really like that. Being data driven and having having proof is not enough. What do you think we need? In addition to this data and I guess, you know, common sense to actually succeed in the business world.
1: So in addition to telling the truth, in addition to being honest, in addition Mm -hmm. to wanting to solve problems for your partners, in addition to bringing value to your clients, Mm -hmm. well, you need to actually be wanted. You Mm -hmm. need to be liked. You need Mm -hmm. to be listened to humans will not listen to and act upon someone's proof or truth if there is not this emotional connection, Mm -hmm. this deeper feeling of belonging or acceptance or relatability. Yeah. So beyond being right, there is this very fluffy sense of being favored or preferred and, and this very... Um, intangible feelings come from emotionally connecting with your audience, Mm -hmm. being able to go beyond the words to actually touch something more important in the decision-making process.
0: Super interesting. And actually, from a perspective within the luxury industry, that's what it's all about. It's about storytelling. You said it's about being wanted. Well, one of the key I guess you could say, elements of a luxury brand, it's its desirability. Is the is the brand desired? Is their product desired? Um, you know, you can have luxury services as well. So yes, if it's a luxury service, maybe it's a spa and you can have spas that are purely functional you have spas that are luxury. Are you going to feel any better in terms of the actual effects of the service that you have in a luxury spa versus just a normal one? Well, if you do, it's actually all going to be emotional. <laughs> it might not be that the product um, products that they use on you are any better than in the, you know, the classic kind of spa. And that's why I see storytelling as being such a key component, not just for people within the sales world, but absolutely for people within luxury as well. Because without it, how do you connect with your final audience, your final customer, whether it's getting your luxury brand into a luxury retail department store or if it's actually getting it into the final hands of a customer without being wanted, no matter how much data you have in the world on, yes, this is a product that people are going to buy. If you're missing that last component, it's simply not going to work.
1: Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, luxury is the industry most reliant on Mm -hmm. storytelling because it's never about the product. It's never Mm -hmm. about... How better the product can be. Yeah. A, a timepiece is a timepiece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the time, exactly. if it's four o'clock, it's four o'clock. It's, yeah. it's not about being right. It's about all this other side of things that's mm-hmm. hidden, that's invisible, intangible. It's about belonging. It's about preference. It's about the story behind it. It's about mm-hmm. being part of something bigger than yourself. It's about self expression. It's about everything but the product that owning this masterpiece enables you to possess Mm -hmm. beyond just an object.
0: Absolutely. And that's why in some communications from luxury brands that are about a product launch, you don't see the product in the entire communication until maybe at the very end, um, which is counterintuitive, but like, it's actually very similar with storytelling. Like you said, if you want to be a good communicator, you have to be a good listener. Um, It's, I think it all goes hand in hand. And the luxury industry, it's quite a traditional one. It, it hasn't changed much in, you know, hundreds of years. And I think in some ways that's fantastic because they have really preserved this ability to tell beautiful stories around products that are full of passion, not necessarily products that are there for a functional purpose.
1: What you just said makes me think, think of an idea um, it's about the duality yes, uh, between storytelling
0: mm-hmm.
1: and selling mm-hmm. between investing in emotional connection mm-hmm. versus the effectiveness towards reaching KPIs. Yeah. This is a very classical approach. In my personal experience, there's always been this dichotomy between these two concepts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The idea of active listening and empathy against Efficiency and effectiveness. Mm -hmm. From what I've seen, these are not two separate ideas. The most effective way to reach your goal is going to be to understand why you want to reach that goal in the first place, Mm -hmm. how to reach that goal, and how the people you need to reach that goal can benefit from reaching that goal. So it's not storytelling versus KPIs, mm-hmm. the best way to reach your KPIs is to tell an amazing story that compels people to follow your leadership in doing everything it takes to reaching these goals. So that's something that I, I want to work on for the next years with, with all the folks who are open to this idea is how mm-hmm. to bring back uh, these business critical skills as key component to maximize productivity and effectiveness and reconcile these concepts because they shouldn't be opposed. Mm. It's really about how active listening and empathy are your best tools to actually fulfill your KPIs and sales or otherwise.
0: It's, it's super interesting actually to discuss all this with you because I think You know, all this time we've had, especially working from home and during COVID and whatnot, we all became really obsessed with productivity and we had so little human interaction. And I feel if we did in any way improve our communication skills during that time, it was more so the hard skills of setting up a Zoom meeting and sending a link and whatnot. It it, it wasn't public speaking that's for sure and it's very different sitting in front of your computer and giving a presentation to 300 people who you cannot see um, versus being you know in a room and speaking to that many and vice versa listening to somebody speaking through zoom it can be really really challenging versus actually being in a room being present and having kind of no other external distractions to take you away from the moment so I think we're kind of going back now and we're realizing it's that human touch, that human connection. It's so, so important. And if we want to, you know, big organizations in particular, keep moving forward, we have to work on on all of those skills within our workforces.
1: It's strange to say things like this, but I do believe COVID was a great opportunity mm. for the corporate world to realize the importance of in-person presentations. Yeah, in-person interactions or what you miss when mm. the 10 people you talk to are on mute and half of them don't switch on the camera what's mm-hmm. what's removed from this equation a conversation is obviously you know a two-way street so when you can't see and can't hear the people you're interacting with what's being removed and th- this is absolutely crucial this feedback loop These small reactions, these subtle Mm -hmm. cues that enable a speaker to, because of empathy, adapt to their audience to understand when people sigh or laugh Mm. or yawn or if half of the room is on their mobile phone, well, obviously Mm. you're doing something wrong. But -hmm. if you don't get that feedback, it's really hard to perceive that and adapt on the go um, to provide better content and to actively provide value to your audience.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So I hope that moving forward, in the post-COVID era, we're going to learn from these shortcomings of the, the Zoom kind of environment.
0: Absolutely. Season three of Tech Powered Luxury is proudly brought to you in partnership with our amazing sponsor, Farmhouse Fresh, an American skincare brand on a mission to rescue complexions and animals. Our listeners benefit from $10 off every $100 purchase with the code TLUXURY on farmhousefreshgoods.com. When it comes to culture and cultural differences in particular, how do you see that impacting storytelling?
1: Well, this is one of the hardest questions uh, (laughs) in life. (laughs) Ashley, I'm going to go a bit far back. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a a long-winded answer. Basically, from... In my opinion, culture is something that has naturally evolved over the course of tens of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Over the past 50,000 years, our species has been fragmented into groups that speak a different language. You walk 10 miles, 50 miles, you encounter another group of humans who speak a completely different language. This this is a picture Thousand years ago. Because of that, we have this very diversified group of humans on this planet mm-hmm. that are now, 50,000 years later, going back to a unification of culture mm-hmm. through a lot of people speaking English, like you and I, for example, mm-hmm. English not being my native language, shared culture through globalization with large brands, with the internet, with access to. Other folks on the other side of the planet being able to share and relate to each other. Culture fragmentation has been a barrier for tens of thousands of years. Basically making people unable to understand each other, Mm -hmm. unable to speak to each other, promoting the worst in us. Mm -hmm. So now we are erasing that past because we have access to each other. Mm -hmm. The planet Seems much smaller than it was 500 years ago, and storytelling evolved as soon as we started speaking. It's really hard to pinpoint when that happened because vocal cords are soft tissues uh, that don't leave traces in the fossil records.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But approximately between 100 000 to 200 thousand years ago, people started speaking mm-hmm. like we are speaking now, and people started making things up. And people started narrating things and Mm. people started paying attention to beyond the truth, to beyond being right. It mattered more if it made you feel good or Mm -hmm. angry or if your leaders could make you do something because it felt the right thing to do Mm -hmm. rather than it was the right thing. So we have these two lines, two timelines. The fragmentation of human culture on one side, and our ability to lead and inspire and influence each other, and now we're coming to a point where culture is merging back together again, with the most potent, most effective, most powerful technology we've ever created, which is telling stories mm-hmm. to inspire or influence each other, and so now we're all coming back with tiny little rock floating around the sun. Of course, a speaker has to adapt to their audience. Of course, there are cultural differences between presenting in Tokyo or presenting in Geneva or presenting Abu Dhabi. Of course, there are differences. But I'm more trying to focus on what's the underlying universal constant Mm. from a human point of view across the species, across thousands of years of fragmentation what is actually always the same between people, regardless of where they come from, what language they speak. However, there is a great book, Culture Map, ah, yes. which I really helps
0: I here actually in my
1: understand how to adapt. Yeah. Um, so I'm not denying the cultural differences between peoples and oh. how important and necessary it is to really pay attention to this, to be respectful and inclusive, of course. But personally, I would love to see a more federated in that regard.
0: Yeah, I took quite a few mental notes from that one. I mean, you brought it way back and it had me thinking, wow, imagine being present in this world before language existed. (laughs) That's not something that I've ever thought about before. Um, Yeah, might have been a simpler time (laughs) in many ways, but I think there's so much beauty in language and that's you know, our our key component of the way we communicate. Although a lot of data I've looked at recently says that body language is actually the most important um, component of of communicating now, which, like you said, in the world of Zoom and you kind of remove a lot of that, it's very challenging.
1: So body language and and attitude and tone and all of that represent the majority of what you convey, the meaning of what you're trying to say. Uh, There is a, a famous number, although it's a bit controversial, but, you know, Bullpark, still significant. 93% of what you mean doesn't come from the words you use.
0: Mm.
1: So language has less impact when it comes to public speaking. However, language defines how you think. Yeah. Thinking in English is very different from thinking in German, for example. By, by the structure of the language, by the way thoughts are formulated, it enables thoughts to arise differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, So language and the variety and diversity of language is an incredible resource and a treasure that we should preserve because it's how humans can think differently, literally.
0: Absolutely. And to take it back to the luxury industry, because a lot of our listeners are either coming from luxury or they're here to listen to you because they want to know how to apply your knowledge, your skills to that industry. What do you think will be the biggest technological shift within luxury in the next months and years?
1: I think beyond, you know, the obvious artificial intelligence uh, bandwagon, but beyond that, I think there is a fundamental difference, a fundamental, not opposition, but Technology has always strived for democratizing comfort. The wheel, fire, knives, the internet. Google Maps. Google Maps. <laughs>
0: Google Maps, biggest one for me.
1: <laughs> the more time has advanced, the more normal people has had the privilege of living like kings and queens. Mm-hmm. When you look at our normal lives now, we have virtual personal assistant, we have access to delicacies that were unthinkable a couple of hundred years ago. We can eat cuisine from the other side of the planet in the blink of an eye, mm-hmm. literally ordering on your phone sushi or pad thai when you live in Europe. We are living the lives of kings and queens with a higher standard in terms of health, in terms of comfort. Mm-hmm. We have running water. We don't have to change space to wash ourselves. So technology has contributed to blur the line between the elite and the rest of the population. Mm -hmm. Technology is this enabler bringing what was luxury 100 years ago, 50 years ago, everyone now. So how does the luxury industry cope with that? How is it going to look in 10, 20, 50 years when Things that you can not have now, unless you are part of a very special elite, will be commonly accessible. So I think luxury is not just an industry. Luxury is a way of life, as much as technology is not an industry. Mm-hmm. Technology is the underlying engine of civilization. Mm-hmm. I don't really like the term tech industry because. What I said earlier, technology is when magic becomes complicated. So the tech industry is the industry of complicated things that people don't understand, but that's not true. Mm. You have biotech, fintech, have innovation in cars that drives fashion themselves. Tech.
0: Fashion, fashion tech. Fashion tech on TPL.
1: <laughs> so it's not one or the other, or once again, op- opposing ideas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's about how As a civilization, we can marry great ideas together. So the idea that luxury can be a self-expressing medium can be an investment for the future, can be something to feel proud about yourself, Mm -hmm. to celebrate your achievements, to be part of a group of like-minded people with whom you can relate. I think these are what... In my opinion, uh, the luxury sector can help people celebrate and help people bring in their life. Whereas technology, just about making the impossible possible for the most people.
0: Yeah, and actually you, you said it there, how is you know the luxury industry going to accept technology when... The whole point of luxury is that it's, it's meant to be a luxury. It's meant to be exclusive. It's meant to be rare. It's not meant to be uh, something that you can just find commonly everywhere. And I mean, that's why I created this podcast, because the luxury industry was very slow to embrace many elements of technology, um, e-commerce being something that they saw really as the devil. Like, why would we put our prices somewhere where everyone can see them and anyone can have our product, you know, potentially within an hour because of, uh, you know, delivery being so easily accessible now. And it's really kind of a, a water and oil situation. Like you said, technology, it's, it's all about democratization. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for all those reasons, in many ways, they, they completely clash. But at the same time, I really believe that luxury brands that don't embrace technology they won't be able to continue. They won't have a sustainable business model. They won't be able to continue driving profits and desirability. And as consumers obviously get younger, we have new generations. You know, now we're, it's not just about millennials, but soon Gen Z. We're moving into an age where we will no longer have any customers who weren't born into the digital age. So I also see it as quite a risk, actually, if luxury brands decide to be completely offline. Because um, if you're completely offline today, in general, that means you're completely invisible. Um, but there are ways of doing it to make it mysterious. But if you're too mysterious, <laughs> you're a complete mystery and no one knows about you as well.
1: It's, it's a paradigm shift. And it happened before mm. when hunter-gatherers were overwhelmed by the efficiency and productivity of farmers and herders. Mm. They had to adapt or um, see their way of life slowly erode away. Yeah. When, when the internet was democratized, a lot of things changed. Mm.
0: Uh,
1: so I think for luxury, it's not so much about uh, how to resist to technology, mm. but how to embrace this paradigm shift and maybe evolve what is currently the defining components of this culture of luxury. For example, high price price inaccessibility, rarity, and evolve maybe away from these very tangible aspects to Mm -hmm. something slightly different to belonging or self-expression and maintain this form of exclusivity, not necessarily in the the logistical Mm -hmm. point of view of access, but from a maybe mental point or mindset or cultural Mm -hmm. For sure, we are in a very pivotal moment of human history with all the changes from the internet to AI. A lot of things are changing and change is good. Change is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's always really hard to see when you're in it. But looking back at our history, everything seems to make sense.
0: Bijan, this has been a very interesting conversation. I could ask you questions all day. Your opinions and approaches are so well articulated. No surprise, as you know, the um, expert in the world of, of storytelling and breaking down complex topics into things that are very much understandable. So I would like to close our conversation today with one last question for you. What is the one skill that you would recommend for people to start working on today?
1: So the one skill that I believe brings value over and over again that is useful for your entire career and your personal life to improve life at home, to reach your goals at work. I think empathy is the one defining skill for human beings. Is the most powerful superpower we have. It's the closest thing we get to mind reading. Mm. Our ability to understand others, to understand each other, To understand the goals and desires of the people we're trying to convince is the most effective way to convince them. And you are trying to convince people on a daily basis, 24-7, regardless of your occupation. As a human being, you interact with others, you have ideas, you have desires. And because we are a social species... We all need others to move forward. So our ability to get help from others and to convince and inspire others to help us because we understand what they need in return is really, in my opinion, the most important ability we can improve.
0: Super insights. Bijan, thank you so much. So for everyone who's listening and who would like to connect with you, it's bijan.io, so it's B-I-J-A-N. Dot io, and that's where they can find about, you know, how to work with you and potentially have you um, work with them, their teams or organizations, like you said, are just to have a, a virtual coffee and understand a little bit more about your ways of working and the ideas and tools that you've developed for people and organizations around the world. Anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: Um, well, I'd like to thank you very much, Ashley. It was a, a delight to have time with you after a couple of years of not seeing each other. Very happy to have participated in our podcast and welcome our listeners. Come and check bijan.io. Other than that, I wish you all the best.
0: I can't wait to see you again. Amazing. Thank you, Bijan. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Tech-Powered Luxury with the super Bijan, who, as you can probably tell from our conversation, is really passionate, but also talented in this space of communication and Breaking down what are the barriers in terms of our own fears when it comes to public speaking in particular. And I know myself, sometimes I'm sitting in the office or in a presentation, and we all have those moments where we maybe lose faith in what it is that we're talking about, or we're not so sure how we're going to get through a presentation. And I think working with someone like Bijan on perfecting communication skills and figuring out what is it maybe that I'm afraid of, or how is it that I can break down barriers, not just to be able to actually communicate myself. But for someone to be able to understand and receive in a positive way what it is, that I'm trying to share so really appreciated that time with Bijan as always a big thanks to all of our listeners and if you have enjoyed this episode please 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 give us a good review whether it's on Apple or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media because we do so many giveaways and community rewards for our listeners and lastly a big thanks as always to our sponsor Farmhouse Fresh they're an amazing brand so head over to their website FarmhouseFreshGoods.com to discover more about them.